welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. This week, we not only have another guest, as always, but we also have a new member of the team in the studio, for the intro only, I might yeah. add. If, so if you hear any noises, it's a, it's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is an, what, eight-week-old Cocker Spaniel? Yep. Called Floki. And he's currently sitting on my lap. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Floki oh, yes. trying to eat a microphone. <laughs> Okay, but uh, he, he said that he's not going to have any input into the introduction. He's just going to be quiet, so, <laughs> apparently. Hopefully. We have a competition winner to announce. We have a new competition to announce as well at the end of the show, like we do every week. Small amount of news. Uh, a yeah. small amount. We've uh, we've covered quite a bit of news over the last few weeks, but we've got some more things coming up. I feel that we should go over at some point again in the near future... Um, it keeps coming up the doctor's um, notes, uh, well, paying for to go to the doctor basically for your your certificate. Yeah, for your firearms. Firearms certificate. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I t- we'll tell you what, we'll probably cover that in an we, intro. We, we have covered it before. Yeah, we have. But we're going to cover it again because it just keeps on coming up and up online. People complaining, not sure if it's right, and we do have some guidance for people. Yes, in fact, if you go and visit the Sachs Facebook page, you will find it there. Uh, and we will also put it up on our website, which is thepacebrothers.com. Mm-hmm. It has been an interesting week in the shooting world because, uh, as a lot of people will know, we were having the parliamentary grouse debate, which was basically the decision whether we should ban driven grouse shooting. I mean, that's what was being debated, mm-hmm. and it has been resoundingly thrown out. So, yeah, great news for shooting. Uh, I've watched to, watched bits of it, and the arguments that were put across uh, by many of the MPs to keep it were made perfect sense. Uh, mm-hmm. The MP for uh, North Yorkshire, I think it was, I, I watched his uh, speech on it this morning, and everything that we've said or covered in the past in films we've done, uh, would be it um, ec- economical benefits, wildlife benefits, um, the list is Habitat, quite, yeah. yeah, it goes on quite a bit. They covered and uh, common sense prevailed. And Thank goodness. I think, I think it has quite a bit. Uh, a proportion of it has to do with what's been going on over the last over a year now, with the the Moorland groups and and the films that have been put out. I mean, we started putting out films over a year ago now. Yep. Well, yep. but well before this petition had legs. So, yeah, the good news is that it's not going ahead. We are going to be uh, giving you a full rundown of exactly what went on, what was talked about, because we will be having uh, Andrew Gilruth from the GWCT on. Uh, we were kind of planning to have him on this podcast, but with the debate just finishing, we thought it'd be better just to give a little bit of breathing space so that yep. we could bring you the, the full And we story. can get all the facts. Yeah, so Correct. we will be there two weeks' time. That's the plan, anyway, to have him on in two weeks' time. Should I announce the competition winner? Yeah, we should, okay. actually. So, we got a few entries, and as we do with every single competition, unless it's a picture competition specifically where we're picking something we like, uh, we put all the names into a hat, and, well, not a hat, we put it into the computer, <laughs> uh, and then it picks it randomly. So, Ashley Ross, you have won this Bushnell Solar, Grill Solar Wrap. Solar Wrap. Which, I, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm now holding it up right now. This uh, solar wrap, which is uh, also a power bank at the same time. It's quite cool. I I actually kind of want to keep it myself to use it, but I'm not going to keep it. We're I think gonna... we've got another one to give away, so we might be able to maybe use one. Yeah, so uh, thank you for everyone that's entered. 
And uh, remember, there's prizes every two weeks. We're going to announce the next competition at the end of the show. We will. And we can also tell you that we're going to be doing something super duper extra special for Christmas. Yeah, for the run-up uh, not, for Christmas. Not quite yet, but we will be doing it. So. A, special, a special show. Hmm. A special show and special prizes, too. Yeah. This week's podcast, you have already heard from this man because he interviewed us on the Beyond the Kill podcast uh, a number of months ago, and we did a reverse podcast and gave that to you like four weeks ago now. So you were able to hear him interviewing us to find out a little bit uh, more about myself and Daryl. But we obviously didn't get to find out really anything about um, Adam, who runs the Beyond the Kill podcast and is editor-in-chief of the Journal of Mountain Hunting because he was on the other side of the microphone. So we, I, I apologize for when I put out that previous comment uh, when we talked about at the beginning. I called him an American, and he is not. He's no, Canadian. He is Canadian. It's a Canadian <laughs> magazine and Canadian And show. I do know the difference. <laughs> it, it was just, just a, slip, it was of just a slip of the tongue at the time. Um, so we've got him on the, on the podcast this week. It's a very packed hour of information about him. We cover everything from what actually is mountain hunting and wilderness hunting, which is something that we don't really do in this country, um, to preparation, hunter-athlete movement, and how he got into the world that he is in now, which is running an online uh, magazine, which is superb. And running and a, a podcast. podcast. Yeah. Which, and we talk about what you can expect in his on the online magazine, which anybody can read. Yep, it's there for everyone. Mm-hmm. Just Google uh, the Journal of Mountain Hunting and you will find it. The links will be in the description as well. Yes, as they As they usually are. So that's it. We won't uh, hold you up any further. Uh, I do hope that you enjoy this interview. We thoroughly enjoyed doing it and would just wished it had been twice as long. In fact, we will be getting Adam on again at some point in the future because I only got through a tiny fraction of what we wanted to <laughs> ask him. Uh, this podcast is supported by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. You can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the world of hunting, fishing and shooting by checking out their Facebook page. That is where you will get the most up-to-date information. Adam, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is a, a little bit of a, a switch around because the last time we spoke, you were interviewing us. In <laughs> fact, that podcast that went out a little while ago on, on your podcast show, we actually put out like was three two, weeks ago. Two, yeah, three yeah. weeks ago. Why and not? it's actually been remarkably popular. Yeah. Who knew people want to know things about us? <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm not surprised, guys. I'm, um, I'm honored to be on. This is officially my first time as the guest in the hot seat. So um, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So we're going to start off kind of how you started off with us, because I know of you through the Journal of Mountain Hunting, which we're going to get into, and obviously Mm -hmm. your podcast. But tell the people of our podcast who you are and where you started from, maybe from an early life into the world of hunting, but right up to the point of uh, the Journal of Mountain Hunting. And then we'll kind of stop there and then talk more about that. that. Sure. I am. I do have uh, one uh, one thing to add before we before I, I go off on my what will probably be long soliloquy and in that regard and that regard excuse me and that's a, a correction Byron that um, the Journal of Mountain Hunting Beyond the Kill the podcast is a is a Canadian based publication not an American publication. <laughs> Did I say American? Um, what's that? Did I say American? Uh, 
Whoever did the intro. Oh, that was, that, that was yeah. my bad. Oh, yeah. yes. I did. So un- I, unless you guys want to refer to, want me to refer to you as Englishman for the rest <laughs> of this podcast. Do you know, I actually said to Daryl before I started, I said, remember, this is Canadian. <laughs> Canadian in, in, my, in my defense, I'd just come back from Norway and I did that really late at night. And I just, my brain wasn't switched on. And I knew as soon as I clicked publish that I'd made a mistake. <laughs> so yes uh, no it's all it's all good i i'm just uh i'm, I'm giving a good-natured ribbing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah fire away adam yeah yeah so um my name's um adam yonke in, in the event that um that doesn't uh my last name doesn't get said in the in the intro and oh, correct uh <laughs> i grew up in um in eastern canada in in the province of ontario uh in a um a pretty rural area the closest closest town i would, I would have to say village um which we weren't even in we were out on a farm outside this this town or village uh it's called douglas ontario so um a big shout out to to douglas um and you know like a lot of people that grow up in a in a country or rural setting um i grew up in the outdoors right it, it, it's funny now that i look back on it because i think like a lot of people as they approach their their teenage years they um kind of can't get can't wait to get out of you know the the quote unquote slow and and boring countryside, right? And and now you know, geez, twenty odd years later, um, I look back on on that time and that upbringing very fondly. So, um, hunting, fishing was just really part of my life. It was one of those things where I didn't really even have. I mean, of course, I had the option, but it was just you know front and center uh, most of our most of our lives. Um, my, my mom's side of the family, um, all, they were all farmers as well. And they, uh, all live within, you know, a five to 10 minute radius. And she has four brothers and they were all hunters. And, um, between my dad, who's a, a, a diehard fisherman and my uncles who are diehard hunters. Um, that was, that was the way of my life for, for the bulk of my young life. Sounds um, good to me. And, uh, sorry, go ahead. It sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, it was incredible, and and now that I have two two little ones, um, we now live in a in a city that's that's not too big. It's just the right size for us, um, and uh, we've got you know really good access and proximity to the outdoors. It's uh, something I'm very very happy to say that um, I will at least I hope I'll be able to give um, give our two boys a, a similar experience and upbringing. But um, you know, it was, you know, my, my life kind of revolved around that stuff. Come fall, you know, I'd take some time off of school, like a lot of the other guys and gals I knew for, for deer season, which, um, you know, I grew up mostly rifle hunting. I started to bow hunt as I got into my later teens, but um, it was uh, it was a central focus until I um, really got heavily involved in, in my sports. And, and then there was, uh, for all intents and purposes, a competition between time devoted to athletics and I don't mean athletics in the say European or British term meaning track and field I mean just general athletics um and uh which often took up weekends and evenings and days of the week um and and hunting and so that that sort of I guess level of seriousness with with sport started um what I um regretfully I guess would say became a bit of a a downward trend in, in the time I devoted to the outdoors. So as much as it had been a focal point of my life, it, um, things shifted to, you know, school and, and, and sports. And that really carried on through university. I, I attended university in Southwestern Ontario, a place called the University of Western Ontario, um, where I studied, um, kinesiology, sports science, uh, essentially. And, 
uh, that was, geez, but probably an eight-hour train ride um, from home. And so in the falls, I, in the fall, excuse me, I wouldn't get back home for for hunting. I, you know, I might get the odd little weekend or day of fishing when I would go home. But um, the seasons in Ontario were so restrictive that there is really a very brief period of the, of the year during which you could you could hunt. And um, you know, whether for good or for bad, I prioritized. Uh, school and, and, and sports on an ongoing basis. And, you know, fast forward to, oh, um, the early 2000s, I had finished uh, university. Um, I'd gone off to uh, New Zealand for the better part of the year where I was playing some rugby, came back, um, did a little bit of postgraduate schooling, and then um, moved west, moved into um, beautiful province or moved out to, excuse me, the beautiful province of British Columbia. And it was right around that time that I'd started to feel, for lack of a better way to put it, an, an itch um, for the outdoors, which, which I'll be honest and say that precipitated in large part my move west, um, more the the snow sports, skiing and snowboarding. But, um, you know, I, I'd always as a, as a young kid felt a pull to the frontier, the wilderness, that sort of, you know, nostalgic pioneer spirit. And um, I can remember... Uh, as, a, as a young kid watching, you know, VHS tapes of guys hunting in the mountains of, say, Montana or Alberta and British Columbia and, and thigh deep snow and um, and hunting, you know, huge mule deer. And that was, I mean, they may, may as well have been from another time and another planet as far as I was concerned. But um, that, I guess that that interest had, had sat latent through my shift in focus to school and sports. But as that was sort of coming to an end and I was starting to think about, you know, where do I want to live? Where do I want to start my career? This, um, uh, what would be the term? This, I guess this latent desire to get West, um, kind of came to a head. And so I, you know, I basically uprooted everything and, um, moved out to British Columbia, um, to Vancouver, you know, very large urban center. Um, and, uh, and that's where the mountain bug hit me hard. I, I went from, you know, the, um, the snow sports side of things, skiing and snowboarding, got really into trail running. And, um, and it was right around that time that I decided to basically pick up a gun again and started hunting and, uh, the floodgates opened. I mean, from that point forward, it's been borderline an unhealthy obsession with all things mountain hunting, um, in particular, I mean, I still love to hunt, you know, let's say on a less, serious or adventure base or adventure basis but or adventurous excuse me basis but um uh it it hit hard and whatever had been sitting deep down within my uh my soul i guess came out and came out in spades and um so that was early 2000s and you know i devoted about 10 years of my life to the healthcare field um I worked in the realm of, of sports biomechanics um what um we in the field would call gait analysis so looking at how people move and ambulate. And, and in my case in particular, dealing with a lot of um, sports-based injuries and um, was, was, you know, relatively speaking, successful at that. It started my own practice um, and then um, eventually sold that practice um, right before my wife and I had our first, um, our first child, our, our first son. Um, and as I mentioned, we now have, a, have two little ones. Um, and selling my practice, and I stayed on with the purchaser for um, a number of years to to ensure there was a smooth transition. But it was right around that time that I think, like a lot of people who are new parents, um, 
do, I started to, to look inward again, right, to say, you know, what, what do I want for, um, you know, my life now, for my family's life? Uh, what do I want for me as a, as a you know, husband, father, um, and I guess to a certain extent, you know, uh, professional or business person? And I'd um, worked in the healthcare space long enough um, that I guess I could say I, I'd kind of become bored. And you know, if anybody that knows me from that space hears that, they're probably going to call me out on it off air here. But I, I guess I was looking for a, a different challenge. And so, um, as I had said at that time, you know, mountain hunting and an obsession with mountain hunting had become a bigger and bigger part of my life. And um, I guess deep down, I've, I've also got a fairly entrepreneurial spirit. And I was becoming fairly frustrated with um, just what was out there, be that, um, you know, a print publication um, or, um, you know, what, at the time, what was mostly just online forums. There weren't really any, you know, sort of dedicated websites to to hunting or mountain hunting like, like there are now. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to about 2014. Um, and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I think like a lot of, you know, businesses or ideas, it was... You know, I was looking for a solution to my problem. I couldn't find it. And I thought, well, shoot, maybe I should just try solving this problem my, myself. And with a couple of close friends, we decided to um, to launch um, what is now the um, the Journal of Mountain Hunting and then eventually, of course, the Beyond the Kill podcast. But um, you know, that was heavily informed by the fact that, you know, there was a there are still remain numerous, you know, just excellent print publications available. But um, a lot of them are not Canadian based. And then when you'd go to order, you know, or, or to fill out a subscription form or to go to the website to, to initiate a subscription, the price that was showing, you know, 25 or 20, you know, nine, 29 for a one year subscription turned into 60 or 70, right. For, to get it into Canada, which was just, you know, crazy. There's no way I was going to spend 60 or 70 bucks for, a, um, you know, a four or six issue print, um, subscription. So, we kind of figured that we couldn't be the only ones lamenting that fact and and thought, well, you know, how could we start something that is not bound by those restrictions of, you know, postage and international mailing, um, you know, rules, et cetera, and um, decided to to try to start a digital magazine or an e-zine. Um, and uh, of course, the uh, the nuts and bolts of doing so were then in 2014 very easy and are, are even easier nowadays. Um, and... Um, we went in sort of eyes wide open thinking, you know, this could be an absolutely idiotic idea. And we put up um, a pre-registration site. It was June 2014, early June 2014, put up a pre-registration site that basically was a promise of content. There was no actual content on the site. It was a homepage, um, a list of the type of articles and content we were going to publish, and then a sign-up form. Um, and um, we put it out on... Online onto the into the the proverbial interwebs uh, in a variety of places, and um, we had nearly a thousand people sign up in two days. Amazing. So um, the, we had our <laughs> we had our validation at that point, um, and um, you know <laughs> the, the 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 irony, the funny part of it is, you know, building out the the pre-registration site was quite simple. I actually did it all of it myself, and and I had no you know technical coding or you know web design background but you know again at the time there were a lot of sort of plug and play platforms one could utilize to just get a website going um and uh, we used that and then you know we were we were high-fiving and excited and then 
you know, probably within about um, a day of that initial 48 hour flurry of activity, we kind of sat here and said, oh, geez, now we actually have to do this. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I mean, whatever it is, just over two and a half years later, hundreds of different articles and now, you know, coming close to 30 different podcast episodes and um, various, you know, sort of blog posts and all that sort of thing, um, some articles and some print magazines. It's been um, it's been a hell of a ride. And so, you know, uh, coming back to the, the history and, you know, my sort of um, choosing the different path from healthcare to online publishing in this this mountain hunting world, um, it, it wasn't uh, an open and shut scenario where, you know, the pre-registration site meant, okay, I'm going to, you know, quit everything else I was doing in healthcare. I, I, I maintained a, a foothold in that spa space for, for quite some time. And I was essentially um, operating uh, or, or being in, um, committed to two full-time jobs. And then as the, the journal grew and we started to attract sponsors, et cetera, I was able to pare back on the healthcare stuff and, and moved into more of just a pure consulting role where I could pick and choose my time and, um, and commitment of time and time commitments. Um, and, um, and eventually the, the, the journal and, and then of course the podcast became more and more, um, of my, my quote unquote job. And nowadays I still do, uh, I, I call it mercenary, mercenary work in, in the healthcare space. I, I consult, you know, here and there, um, but a sporadic amount, um, of time in any given month. And then, you know, the overwhelming majority of my time, um, professionally speaking is spent now on the, the media platform. And now the journal of mountain hunting, I first came across actually when I was doing exactly what you've just described now in the sort of the two job space where mm -hmm. I was doing, uh, I was working offshore in oil and we were building out our production company here uh, and the podcast and everything else. So I found the journal of mountain. I actually can't even remember how I must've just been Googling it's, stuff. It's what, it's what happens when you sit offshore <laughs> yeah. and you've got nothing else to do. Yeah, I think there was bad weather and I was sitting in the TV room on my phone. So anyway, I found the journal of mountain. I was like, wait, this is, this is actually really cool because it, it's a, it's clean. You make great, great use of pictures. The articles in terms of content are fantastic. And they're the, the web, the website is, is brilliant. Mm. Um, if, if, well, we'll have the link in the, the podcast, but it is a clean cut website, which I like whenever you go yeah, when visiting. Yeah. Maybe you can just uh, tell our listeners how they consume the journal, because it's not everybody reads online, like proper magazine content. And those people who do take digital copy, it's often a digital version of a print magazine. It's almost exactly mm. the same. You kind of flick through it on your iPad like you would do a magazine, but the Journal of Mountain Hunting is different in, in that respect. Maybe you could just talk through that a little bit and then we can encourage people to go and have a, you know, check it out for themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I kind of skimmed over some of the back end um, nuts and bolts of, of how and why and, and, and what, you know, how and why we were, we wanted to design it and, and what we were trying to do. So, um, and, and, uh, before I dive into that, thank you for the, the, the kind words that, um, those, that sort of feedback is, is frankly more valuable and more important than, uh, oh, you know, the, the, the sponsor money and that sort of stuff. I, I got an email this morning to the effect of, um, uh, you know, a gentleman, uh, had been reading the, the journal since really the beginning and had, uh, you know, life had caught up with him and he got busy and had, um, come back to it and, and just devoured basically three months of, of content, um, on the, the digital magazine and, and the podcast. And 
he was saying just how inspirational it was and how it was, um, you know, lighting a fire within him. And, and that, so to hear what you guys have said or that is, is, is the best reward we can get from, from this whole endeavor. But, um, you know, you guys hit the nail on the head in that, um, when we looked at the landscape of what was out there, you know, this is, you know, June, 2014, as I said, is when we launched the pre-registration site. Um, but we spent, geez, a number of months, um, you know, looking at, um, the market, right. Seeing what was out there, seeing what the competitive landscape looked like. Um, what did we like? What didn't we like? And that sort of thing. And, and you're right, right. Most quote unquote digital magazines were simply, um, digitized version of a print magazine, right. Whereas he said, you could flip through, um, uh, as though it were on print, it's just digital. Right. Um, and for my own taste, um, and, and for the guys involved with me, um, uh, at its inception, that was fine, right? It was convenient, I guess, and it was an it was efficient, but it wasn't really leveraging all that all online could do, um, and it wasn't really changing anything, right? It was the exact same format and layout um, that you would see in a print magazine, just digital. And you know, one of the the real core philosophies of of the Journal of Mountain Hunting, um, and, and we say this to sponsors or potential sponsors all the time, is we are content first, um, take it or leave it. Right, which is, um, you're not going to see, at least for the most part. We've got a couple of short articles um, that are just in, incredibly well written, and impactful, and, and get the job done in, you know, 2,000 words or less. But the overwhelming majority of our content will be 2,000 words plus. Right, we have some articles that are five to seven, if not 9,000 words. Right, so that's, that's heavy in-depth content, and and that's what we were looking for ourselves as as hunters. Um, and we couldn't find it. Right. So we thought, well, geez, you know, there are no, there are no cost limitations to scaling up, uh, online as far as, you know, um, like pages are concerned, right. We don't have print costs. We don't have those limitations that, that come with a print publication. So why would we handcuff ourselves to short form content? Plus there was, there was lots of it out there, right. There's plenty of it. We didn't need to to step into those, you know, sort of sharky waters, mm. if you want to think of things from a blue ocean strategy perspective. So, um, the the journal um, goes out monthly. So every month you're going to get, um, if you subscribe, which it's, it's free to subscribe to, um, a uh, an email notification that the, um, the the that month's issue is live, um, and it is all consumed online. Now, um, we did our best, and it's far from perfect, but we did our best to blend all the benefits of an online platform um, with the kind of, I would almost say traditional longer form content you would have found, um, you know, decades ago in a lot of, you know, hunting publications and still can find in places like Gray's and Sports Afield and um, Wild Sheep Magazine, the the magazine that's um, printed and publi um, published by the Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, but, you know, you kind of had to pull that stuff together from a variety of sources. And so we thought, well, you know, let, why don't we try and be this source for, you know, the serious or, or, and or dedicated mountain hunter or the aspiring to be serious or dedicated mountain hunter. And, you know, I, and I have to catch myself because I, I often say mountain hunter because our name is Journal of Mountain Hunting, but we consider, you know, mountain hunting and deep wilderness hunting, say like high north um, Arctic tundra, whether that's you know, in, um, you know, uh, Russia, Siberia, the far East essentially, or across Canada, right? I mean, there's parts of Newfoundland, for example, or Quebec or Labrador that are, you know, as, as 
as as epic in a wilderness environment as you're ever going to find. So I don't want to sound like we're um, you know overtly focused on mountain hunting, which of course the name would suggest, and we are. But um, we wanted to be a source where people could come and find um, content, stories, articles on um, this this whole realm, right? This whole you know wilderness realm where it's um, you know it's it's a very serious endeavor. It's not a it's not a weekend, um, you know, hunt. It's not an evening hunt, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's how I actually I grew up hunting, you know, deer out of tree stands and upland game, etc. I love that side of hunting, but there's something about mountain hunting that um, I mean, it just takes and wilderness hunting, I should say, um, that takes a little bit more effort, a little bit more commitment, and a little bit more um, focus, right? Because yeah. if you're out in the wilderness or the backcountry of the mountains for you know, five to 14 days, there's a lot of things that have to go right. And there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And, um, the, the content is, 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 is focused around that. So, um, every month the, the issue comes out, um, we have a, a, a set series of columns that go out every month, every now and then we'll, we'll throw out, um, you know, a guest column or a, or a surprise column, but for the most part, it's um, it's pretty standard. So you know what you're going to get. You know the level of content you're going to get, which is typically going to be fairly in depth. Um, and then coming back to the inception uh, and, and your point, um, Daryl, about um, it's not really a website. Is one of the things we hated about what was um, out there in the hunting website world when we started in 2014 was what is still out there to a certain extent, and that's the, um, you know, ad tech, right. Which, you know, I've heard people in the tech space say that's the worst thing that ever happened to the internet, you know, banner ads, sidebars, these things that pop and flash and really distract from, um, the quality of the consumption. Very nice. And I find, and I find now, sorry, but I find now I go onto a site that has that stuff and I immediately leave it. I, I mean, I was already doing that at the time. Um, but now in particular, like I, I just don't even bother. Like that is an ineffective and ineffectual, website if, by my estimation in every way banners don't work i never click on them i'm never attracted to them and it detracts from the very information i'm trying to get from that website so as you said um we we tried very 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 hard and it was literally a a go no go um decision for us as far as how we built it the website um but we tried very hard to keep it as clean and unobtrusive as possible while at the same time trying to in fact, you know, build a platform that had some ability to monetize, i.e. Yeah. via, you know, advertising or sponsorship. Well, I think you've, you've certainly done that. And I think and also realizing the importance of high quality pictures as well. I mean, it might seem like a small thing, but it, it really does add to the, the pleasure of consuming vast amounts of content. If you have interspersed these fantastic pictures, which punctuate a great story. And, uh, you know, you've obviously I can see that you've clearly embraced that. There are plenty, I can think of a, a ton of paper magazines in, in this country where they put pictures in because there needs to be a picture there mm. and they don't really care that much about how great the picture is. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's increasingly important in an increasingly competitive uh, competitive world and, and it makes it look pretty, which is nice. <laughs> but, but you are right about the websites. There's one thing that will turn me off a website and that is 
one if you can't navigate it properly but secondly if there's pop-ups that you can't close down or you, you know just ridiculous adverts that annoy you. you you it's that's it i don't want to deal with this person and there's none of that on the journal of mountain hunting so everybody's safe <laughs> <laughs> no there is none there is absolutely zero of that and you know um as far as the the pictures are concerned or the imagery is concerned that was one of our other core philosophies and or, or i guess a part of one of our core philosophy philosophies in that um, we want to we want to put people in the story or in the article where wherever we can. I mean, it's, I'll be honest and say that um, uh, collecting adequate imagery to support an article or to support um, you know a column is without a doubt the hardest part of the job. Um, the writing piece we do some of our own writing. We have lots of guest writing. Writing piece is rel- relatively easy. I think you know by by definition people that that uh, are attracted to mountain and wilderness uh, style hunting are romantics and um and for the most part can write right like it's i don't know how many times i get an email from somebody saying you know almost sheepishly in, in their of course in the email in the written form you know oh, here's my here's my best attempt and you know you know feel free to turn it down or feel free to to chop it into pieces and you know I, i'm not making any promises that it's that it's all that good and you know, geez, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but so many of those um, emails and then the stories that accompany them are absolutely phenomenal. Is there some editing to do? Of course, there'd be editing to do of my own writing. Um, but people um, do not typically struggle to send in the kind of um, you know article or story that we are just ecstatic to publish. Imagery is the crux. I have, I don't know how many different stories sitting in a folder on my desktop that are stories I would love. And I mean, love guys to publish, but we just don't have the imagery to accompany it. Mm. Um, and, um, we've, we've worked fairly hard, um, and continue to work very hard with people submitting content to ensure that that imagery meets, um, you know, our brand promise. And look, it's not perfect, right? Far from, but we do our best to, to accompany the written co- written content with imagery that puts people there is either representative of the experience. And sometimes that's a raw and not, you know, incredibly high quality image, but it is representative mm-hmm. of the story or the article. Um, but where possible, we want it to be the highest, highest quality possible. Right. Which um, on that note, you guys do an incredible job of with the, the, the imagery you've sent me. Oh, no, that's a, it's a pleasure. And thank you very much for, t- for taking my one or one or two articles in it's uh it's it's nice to see them published somewhere else as well. But you're right what you say about the imagery. It's it's something I certainly never appreciated when I first started writing however long it was ago, 10 years ago. And it's only actually in probably the last two years that I realized, well, for a start, I bought a decent camera <laughs> and uh, but realized how important it was. And I, we both it take do, a it great does, amount it of does take now. It does take work. Yeah. But once you, one, I think once you get to the point where you're, one, you're comfortable with the camera and then you're comfortable with editing, it comes quite naturally yeah. to you kind of see the angles yeah, you, you see the angles that you need to take when you're up there but i guess you, you gotta know, want it, to do it though. yeah you gotta want to do it and secondly it's another thing to take up with you if you're you know if you're just going i'm going hunting now you've got to consider your camera and looking after it yeah oh absolutely yeah you know um do you guys know who tony bynum is yeah i know i know of him yeah yeah so so tony uh, i can't remember exactly which podcast he was on but um 
it might even been just a, a conversation between the two of us, but he's been on a bunch of podcasts recently. So I may be getting some of the, the details muddled up, but he, he said that, you know, people, um, generally speaking, aren't committed to the camera. Right. And, you know, and Remy Warren's actually said this before I interviewed him, um, last year. Um, and he made the exact same point, which was, um, you know, people love the idea of coming home with great pictures. They love seeing great pictures when they get in the field and they don't, you know, make really simple decisions that allow them to capture those images, right? Which is keep the bloody camera close at hand, not buried in your pack, because when you're halfway up a 3000 foot vertical climb, you sure as you know what, aren't going to want to stop and pull out your camera <laughs> no. for that epic shot. You just, you know, as the clouds part and the light hits the mountainside in just this way or your, your buddy or your brother or whatever is, you know, side hailing across this slope or, you know, cresting this ridge, whatever it might be. Um, if that camera's buried somewhere, you're not going to pull it out and you're not going to take your shot. And as most people who our um, dedicated shooters will will say is it takes thousands and thousands of images to get the one that makes you go wow yeah right so it's um it, and, I, and I can say that because I struggle with that myself I was on an elk hunt uh, just a couple of weeks back and I brought my my DSLR and um, my brother took it from me because he's like if you're not going to take pictures I will and I wasn't <laughs> right because um, I was there to hunt and. Uh, I wasn't committed to taking pictures, um, and it's and it's a it's a it's a fatal mistake that a lot of people make. Fatal may be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's a it's a critical mistake a lot of people make when it comes to chronicling their adventures. Yeah. No question. You regret I, you regret it afterwards. You definitely yeah. you oh, definitely do. Every time, every yeah. every time, Daryl, I, I regret it. Every time I think, oh man, if I'd only been smarter or or taken the steps to make sure that camera was close at hand and easily available when, you know, the inspiration of the moment uh, strikes. Uh, it's taking the time as well. You've got to allow yourself that little bit extra Absolutely. time. But you build it into yeah. the experience. Yeah. It becomes part of the experience to capture the moments. And in the long yeah. term, it's yeah. oh, it's just, it's so worth it to be able to look back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I want to move on now by kind of backtracking. And ask you why you started the podcast now before i i, ask, I think you're a way to ask a question well, about here. the name no, no no i was gonna ask about the music okay well you can ask about the music but hold on one <laughs> second i want to make a comment and i said this when you interviewed us is beyond the kill awesome name yeah brilliant and it, it totally you. encompasses what hunting should be is beyond the kill so yeah congratulations on that i don't know if you came out of that with yourself or it was with friends but awesome we, we put everyone onto the podcast when we we shared our interview with you but without a shadow of a doubt and i listen to a huge amount of podcasts the best intro music a podcast has by far by far <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great to hear um so uh, sorry, did I, did I jump in on no, you? No, 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 yeah, was, I just wanted to know why you started. Yeah, we were just uh, <laughs> we were just doing the compliment thing. Uh, and now you can tell yeah. us why you started the podcast. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I appreciate um, uh, both uh, the name compliment and the, and the, well, I can't take credit for the music other than the selection of it. So but Beyond the Kill and the whole philosophy around Beyond the Kill, I, I, I misspoke earlier when I said we were content first, and, and we are, meaning the journal and what is now, I guess, what I would consider our, our sort of media platform. But... That, that philosophy of beyond the kill is the number one core philosophy of what everything we do is all about. So 
whether that's you know, the online magazine, the podcast, or what will soon to be um, you know digital film and video production. The um, one of the other issues I can't say issues. One of the other things we or characteristics let's let's use that term of of the hunting space that I and and we meaning my my founding team and now the rest of the team felt very strongly about was that um, as hunters and I think you and I, you or the three of us covered this in when I interviewed um, you two uh, as hunters we do our community a disservice by emphasizing the kill um, and that you know doesn't mean that I'm some whatever ultra emotional hunter that you know i don't know has a problem with with killing animals do i like the actual act of of killing if i'm being honest with with myself and the audience um it, it's it's a conflicted one for me i i don't like the act of killing um and this is a common thread and common theme amongst so many hunters i've, I've had discussions with um but that's a fraction of that experience right and and so the the concept of beyond the kill was based on there's so much to the experience of hunting that is not communicated very well in the marketplace. And that, that has since changed, right? There's, there's more and more, um, as much as I hate to use the term, uh, authentic content and material and imagery and film out there that, that does an incredibly good job of, of capturing the whole experience. But um, that Beyond the Kill philosophy um, was part of the journal. And then when it came time to, to, to start a podcast, and I'll, and I'll speak to that you know, the why behind that specifically, but um, there's just no question that it was going to be called Beyond the Kill. So yes, that is a name that um, I, I, guess I, I guess I did in fact come up with. I'm trying to think back now. Um, it was just part of our discussions of this idea of going beyond the kill um, in what we write, what we feature, um, and then anything else that, that we do. And it was something we sold very heavily uh, and very emphatically to our sponsors was, you know, if you want a grip and grin filled publication, um, you should you should start looking somewhere else because that's not not what we're about. And um, thankfully, there were a number of sponsors that that got it and, and loved it and continue to love what what we're doing. Um, on the podcast side of things, that that's a really good example of uh, you know a business owner not being able to get out of their own way. And that I wanted to launch a podcast probably at least six and maybe even eight months before we actually went live with our first episode in November of last year. Um, and you know, I think like a lot of, um, self-starters, I figured, well, I'll just, I'll figure it out myself, right. As I can edit, I can publish, I can do it all right. Uh, I did it with the website. Why can't I do it with audio? Well, uh, as, as you two know, um, there's a, a very technical component to audio pre and post production. The recording part's easy, um, obviously, but, um, I kept on, delaying the launch of the podcast because um, I couldn't or wouldn't, I guess, be the better way to put it, set aside the time to learn um, the appropriate editing, you know, programming and software. Um, and I finally got off my wallet and said, screw it. Um, I'm just going to outsource this to professionals, people that um, do this as a, as their job. And it was the best decision I've ever made, best money we've, we've probably spent, um, you know, in, in-house on, on building the journal. And, um, as far as the why is concerned, uh, as, as I'm sure you, you two will appreciate, and maybe now, especially a lot of the audience will appreciate is, you know, late, well, I'll say early 2015, um, on-demand audio and podcasting 
well, it was certainly out there, but it wasn't what it is today, right? Like the, the growth in the field has been by all accounts exponential. Um, and I started to consume podcasts myself really early. And again, same thing of, as is with the online magazine. It was, there were some hunting podcasts, some stuff, you know, I'd like every second, third, maybe even fifth episode, but there wasn't one that was going, you know, beyond the kill, shameless plug, um, into subjects and topics that, um, are part of hunting, but aren't just about killing things. And so, um, the, the, the seed was planted and, um, um, and there's a, you know, there's a strong business case for on-demand audio, although everyone will, most people will say that nobody's really figured out the, the, the business model per se, but that the fact that it is a, um, a very important component of any, you know, attempted a media play, um, it's, um, it's one of the best things you can do now. And it's also one of the most approachable, right? Yeah, yeah it's relatively low, so. re- relatively low hanging fruit, and there's something unique about being inside people's heads, um, which you know, if if you're not watching this on YouTube and just listening to on listening to it on a smartphone is is what you know a podcast does, and and then on top of that, you can listen to podcasts while you're engaged in the rest of life, which is very unique to audio. Yeah, it's it's pretty. We the amount of messages we get of people either commuting or they're at work listening to the show, and we get a message saying, "Yeah, I'm at work right now. Really wish I was out hunting and so on." And it just shows <laughs> you how you know you are reaching into everybody's life. You know, because people are listening to it in their garage, driving. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's an incredible format audio. Yeah, and yeah. and the crazy thing is, it's been around probably for one of the apart from paper of time. Yeah one of the longest things, you know, we, yes. you know before TV, there was radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, the podcast side of things was a, a, a bit of a longer ramp up than I would have liked, but um, it was a, it was a, a no question and a no brainer move for, for us and for me. And um, it's, uh, it certainly worked out well. And, and obviously since um, the initial idea was, was sort of spawned, the podcasting world's just blown up, right? I mean, there's a there's a number of phenomenal podcasts, including Into the Wilderness, oh, that I regularly listen to and and thoroughly enjoy consuming um, the content on. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this. So this is gonna be the the final question. Is gonna be a recommendation of a, a top couple of podcasts, but just hold that thought for now. That's gonna be the closing uh, one of the closing <laughs> okay. questions. Yeah. Um, let's step away from that for a bit i've got a long list of stuff here that i, I said I, I wasn't going to prepare anything but actually 30 minutes before i thought i better write some stuff down and i know that we're not going to get through all of this but it seems quite appropriate for the hunting wilderness hunts expedition type hunt world which is a movement in i don't know so much for canada but i guess that would probably be true but certainly true in america uh, of the hunter athlete the one that always yes. springs to mind is cameron haynes Mm-hmm. Maybe in your own words, because we don't really have that here. It doesn't exist in the UK. You can explain what on earth the hunter-athlete movement is and where it's come from and kind of what it's done to the world of hunting. Oh, that is a rabbit hole that... Uh, <laughs> You've only got you 10 minutes, that, by the way. opening, <laughs> gentlemen. Um, so I guess on the simplest level, the, the hunter-athlete is... Um, I guess, Let's call it the, the poster person, I mean, there's, there's both men and women in particular in, in the United States and Canada that would that would certainly qualify as hunter-athletes, but uh, we'll use the catch-all term poster boy. Mm. Um, 
for this whole mountain hunting niche within the hunting niche. Um, and it's, I think, heavily informed by the fact that you really can't go and do, geez, the things you guys do, like just coming out of Norway, was it Norway, excuse me? Yeah, yeah Norway, Norway, yeah. Norway and Sweden. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, so coming out of Norway and Sweden, um, what you, some of what you've done, say on the Isle of Skye or other parts of Scotland, uh, and then of course, you know, I mean, geez, we can name probably countless mountain ranges or or areas across the world where that where this applies. But this uh, this concept of the hunter athlete is heavily informed by the fact that you can't go, you can't successfully, at least in most cases, go and um, go out on these hunts and not be in shape. Mm. Um, pardon me, which has never that, that's nothing new, right? I mean the if you look back at say old issues of wild sheep magazine or, you know, sports of field or, or, or look at, I mean, geez, the, some of the classic writers like uh, O'Connor, I mean, these guys were, were athletes um, by every measure. They just didn't call themselves that they were just, you know, dedicated normal, <laughs> yeah, normal, right. Yeah. And, yeah. Dedicated mountain men and women and, and hunters and trappers and pioneers and that sort of stuff. Right. And, and, but of course, over the the last few decades, the, the 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 stereotypical view of the hunter is, you know, the the overweight sort of redneck, right? Um, which has has never been the the best example, but it was it just became popularized, right? So I I think people within the hunting community, and I don't know this, but this is just my my opinion. Um, kind of got fed up, right? Of, you know, hey, look, like, you know, I, I'm putting a lot of time, energy and effort into my physical preparation for these things that are, you know, are, are really serious endeavors. And, and on that note, you know, I've had um, a Marine Scout sniper, ex retired, I should say, a retired Navy SEAL on the podcast. And I've had countless other conversations with ex-military types who say, you know, a, a multi-day mountain hunt is the closest thing to a mission I will now get in civilian life, right? And um, you know, it's not a life or death scenario. I don't even begin to um, to consider it in that same class in that regard. But on the physical and mental side of things, it, it's very similar. So th these are fairly serious endeavors. And for most people, these, you know, a multi-day hunt will be one of the most serious physical um, adventures they will ever subje subject themselves to. So um, people like Cameron Haynes, no question, were, um, for lack of a better way to put it, um, you know, founding fathers of this hunter athlete movement. Yeah. And of course he's, you know, an internationally known, um, you know, hunter and an absolutely unbelievable athlete, athlete, excuse me, in his own right. Um, but I guess the idea to, to put it as simple as possible is that, you know, the hunter athlete is somebody who, um, for the most part spends the bulk of their year physically training and in many cases, mentally training, truly training, so whether that's in the gym or, you know, hiking and backpacking or running and trail running or, you know, doing other endurance activities like, um, you know, backcountry skiing or triathlon or, you know, road running, say marathons, half marathons, that sort of stuff. People whose entire physical lifestyle revolves around the end goal of hunting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is, uh, I think, a, a more unique modern phenomenon in that the and when I mentioned people like O'Connor, or we, we could list off a number of, you know, sort of classically known mountain hunters, they were just hard men and women, and in yeah. many cases, in particular, men that lived lives that kept them hard, 
um, and, and tough and physically fit. Well, modern life is not like that, right? Modern life is, is soft. And this is where I wear two hats, both my old healthcare hat and my new, you know, editor hat and saying that the, what you and I, the three of us, excuse me, are doing right now, sitting on our butts, talking over microphones, um, is not good for the body, right? This doesn't train us for serious backcountry pursuits. Um, so we actually have to train to not just detract from that degradation of our physical capabilities, but then also train to ensure we can handle the, the demands of the mountains or backcountry. Um, so the hunter-athlete movement, as it were, is uh, a growing and ever-growing um, and expanding segment of the population whose um, entire physical regimen revolves around the end goal of hunting. They may do other things. They may, as I said, get, you know, sign up for a certain event and use that as just, you know, added motivation. But for the most part, everything is is geared towards that, you know, multi-day hunt that they have whenever that is in, in their year. And in, in your opinion, would has that movement had an overwhelmingly positive outcome in terms of the general public who maybe see a little bit of it but aren't hunters themselves? Uh, I, I'm incredibly and horribly biased on that um, question because I resoundingly think yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a whole column dedicated to fitness, right? Like, and it, and it is without a doubt one of our most popular columns. Every month, it's one of the most read or searched columns. It, it's responsible for a lot of our organic traffic. Um, people are looking for that content within the space. Um, but to answer your question specifically, I, I would certainly hope and like to think that it has um, made a lot of people change um, their perspective on what is a modern hunter, right? Um, and, and what I will say very very concretely is that it has attracted a lot of new hunters, right? Is people aren't going through um, the typical upbringing, as it were, of hunting where, you know, they, they hunted with a family member and and then, you know, started hunting simply and then eventually, you know, said, hmm, that mountain stuff looks really cool or challenging. People are just jumping the queue and going straight to a mountain hunt and oftentimes a mountain bow hunt to add to that physical challenge and the overall challenge as well. So I think this this hunter athlete movement has has certainly attracted a whole new contingent of hunters to the hunting space that we might otherwise not have reached. Um if this 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 idea hadn't um, come about over the last number of years, do, do you know what I found out the other day? Cameron Haynes is the longest-serving professional athlete for Under Armour. Mm. Yeah, you told me that. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Byron, because um, I mean, kind of, <laughs> I, I've never spoken with 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 Cameron Haynes. I don't know him. So I, I ca caught myself there referring to him as Cam, as though I did know him. Um, but as most people would call him Cam, um, he has done so much good for the space. And he takes so much heat online for, you know, being, you know, they, of course, there's, you know, segments within the hunter-athlete world, right? Which is, you know, there's the, the the person who's, you know, doing curls in front of a mirror, you know, the, the meathead, as a lot of people would call him. And then there are those who are a little bit more into um, you know, training, you know, quietly and not putting stuff online about themselves and their leg press or their bench press or whatever it is. Right. And so, so Mr. Haynes has taken a lot of flack online for really putting himself out there. But if anybody questions his athleticism, 
go look up the Bigfoot ultra marathon and <laughs> see what he yeah, has I, done. I, I watched recently. it. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. He's a, uh, he's a specimen. He is a specimen. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll add that for me, you know, when I, when I started to, you know, really get into this whole mountain hunting world, um, it, Cam was one of the first people I kind of found online and, and, and just started reading, you know, his stuff and what he was about. And it was, for me, it was just like, that is it right there. Like I was already an athletic guy, very committed to my, my, my sports and eventually what became endurance activities. And I was really inter interested in hunting. And then all of a sudden there was this ability, this way to, to combine the two, which, um, you know, remains one of my number one passions over and above just the hunting side of things like frankly if, if it wasn't for the for, for me personally if it wasn't for that you know that that physical side of mountain hunting i don't know that i would love it as much as that i, well, I would say I, I would not love it as much as i do yeah it's it's an interesting thing that because we find that increasingly where for for us to get the sort of optimize the pleasure if you like we almost have to go through more and more pain <laughs> which normally involves climbing mountains yeah. and it's something that we don't really do in the uk most of it is pretty much day hunt in fact right. you touched a little bit on it earlier when you were talking about the kind of hunts that you would go on in the mountains or or wilderness type hunts being a number of days and for a lot of people here in the uk although we do have a lot of listeners out, you know out with the uk that's a pretty alien concept. We're starting to, to do two, more of it here. three, four nights outside. Yeah. It's not really... It's just not... It's maybe because it's not necessary here. Mm. So what mm. might be, just to kind of backtrack to something we probably should have done near the start for those people who've never experienced that, is just explain maybe what your perfect wilderness slash mountain hunt looks like and you know how long you're out for, the kind of things you have to consider... Uh, like you know food you've kind of you've touched on the physical aspect of it already but it's it's actually an expedition is what it is oh without question yeah so um the perfect hunt mountain hunter you know backcountry or wilderness hunt um well i can confidently say i have not gone on yet because it would be 21 days um in in the wilderness that's that that's a bucket list. That would be the top of my bucket list. Really, the quarry is immaterial. It's the it's the length of time detached from you know modern life that is so integral for me um, when it comes to these sort of experiences. So, the, the typical hunt I will go on will be anywhere from um, eight to ten days. Um, typically, this will be in in the North Country of BC. So. Uh, B British Columbia is an absolutely an enormous province. I can't tell you, the, you know, the the, the the square miles or square kilometers off the top of my head. But to to put to give it context, you know, I, I don't live in Vancouver anymore. But when we did, and we'd go north, we would drive often twenty to twenty four hours to get to our our launching off place, and then from there it would be often a float plane ride uh, or, a, or a jet boat ride. Um, which could be a short flight, say 30 to 45 minutes. They, they of course, can be longer. Um, and on jet boat, four hours on a, a northern river, right, and then get dropped off. So um, we would get dropped off by some form of transport. And a lot of people also go in by horseback. And you can, to be clear, um, in many parts of BC and Alberta and the U.S., simply park your vehicle, your truck, and, and hike in, right? Um and, um, you know, for these, for me and for, for the, the type of hunts I typically do, as I said, it'd be eight to 10 days. Um, and 
where possible, we try to um, establish a, a base or drop camp where we'll have a, a few more amenities, nothing fancy by any by any stretch, but um, you know, change of clothes, um, some you know heavier equipment. Like uh, I, I, I am almost always taking a, a small camp axe and a, a fold out um, Swede saw that is integral because in the North Country, you know, in August you can get snow. Um, so fire becomes absolutely essential and as far as survival is concerned in, in most cases, or you're just going to be really uncomfortable by the end of it or come out early. Um, but, um, we'll do a drop camp or base camp where we'll leave some of our heavier equipment and then we'll be in the, in the mountains for, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine nights, depending on how the hunt unfolds and, and, and everything we have with us is in a backpack on our backs and, if you're, you know, a, 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 and as many people would refer to it in this world, an ounce, an ounce counting weenie, you're going to keep that pack pretty light. You know, a lot of guys can get their packs down to, you know, 50-ish pounds, you know, plus or minus five pounds. I couldn't tell you the con kilogram conversion off or of that off the top of my head. That's but a lot, of pe a lot of times you're running 60 to 90 pound packs mm. and food becomes, food and water, right, becomes the, the real heavy component of your gear, especially now. You know, if you look at the sponsors on our our website, like First Light and Sitka, um, and there are of course many other brands that produce phenomenal uh, apparel as well. Um, but equipment has never been lighter, right? Apparel has never been lighter, yeah. um, and you can you can wear a system that really is all you wear for a week. You know, with with some layers that maybe come on mm. or go on and, and come off depending on on what the conditions uh, require. But food and water are the are the issue as far as weight is concerned. And it's, it's a lot of pack volume and a lot of weight that has to go into, um, your food, right? Your sustenance. And even still, you can be, you can be consuming thousands and thousands of calories per day. And you will, I guarantee you come out 10 to 15 pounds. I've heard some people 20 plus pounds lighter than when they started Yeah, because you are hiking every single day, you know, uh, in many cases, 30, 40 miles over the, the course of the week. And that's not flat. Those aren't flat miles. Those are, you know, vertical miles up and down and some of the harshest terrain and conditions, you know, mother nature can throw at you. Right. <laughs> you know, the joke I like to say is, you know, the mountain hunter goes, goes hiking with a gun when most people wouldn't even think twice about going hiking. Yeah, it's right? very true. I can attest to the, well, we both can attest to the dropping away. I think I was just trying to do the conversion in my head there. I think I was probably about 14 pounds by the time I came back from Norway, uh, Norway and Sweden. We, we 14 pounds lighter. I was 14 pounds. We lighter. just couldn't one. We had the trade off of, we had so much camera equipment, even though we had people helping us that, that we, you had to go, okay, well, I just can't take that amount of food and I had a little bit of fat so, to burn anyway. <laughs> so. So, so we opted for a 45 kilo, 45 kilo pack to 1500 meters which is like i don't know 90 pounds or something yeah. like that yeah yeah uh, so yeah that you wasn't much fun, 90 but... pounds yeah <laughs> yeah it would be it was yeah pretty horrendous but we didn't have to worry about water that's the one thing that i've never really had to worry about ever when we've been yeah. going out see because water just where we've been it, just where we've been there's just water yeah. you can get it anywhere yeah yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, well, and, and then of course, let's not forget that. So you're, you're going in with that weight and of course the weight's going to de decrease over the week. Cause you're, you're well, one losing weight as we've, we've mentioned here, um, two, you're eating through a lot of that weight, but if you're successful, <laughs> you're coming out with even more weight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
And if that, if you're successful early in the trip, you may be coming out with 120 to 150 pounds on your back, depending on your quarry. That's a lot right? of weight. And that, that, that's a lot of weight. And that, that's a lot of weight, period, to walk around the block. That's a lot of, that's a hell of a lot of weight to carry for miles and miles and miles up and down mountains and back to base camp. Hmm. Yeah. It's... So it, it, you know, coming back to the hunter athlete thing, it's, it's a, it's a really unique athletic endeavor, if I can call it that in that, you know, most sports have a defined time and defined goal, meaning score more points or cross this finish line. Um, and even if we look at like alpinism and mountaineering, which is a whole other world of, of just crazy athleticism, but you are still coming out lighter than when you went in on, on, a, on every level. Hmm. Whereas in hunting, if you are successful, you are number one, not calling the shots, right? You're the animals call the shots, where you go, when you go, how long you're on your feet. Um, you have no control over that environment. Right? We, in, in the journal, we write about it and call it a dynamic environment, right? You have zero control over what unfolds each and every day. Um, to a point, of course. Um, and then if you come out successful, you're coming out heavier than when you went in, which is, which is really unique to mountain and wilderness hunting, um, which is part of why this hunter athlete movement uh, has really sort of gained a, a foothold, I guess, in, in the community, because it is, you know, we've something that, again, we've written in, in one of the articles, which is the, the, the challenge with mountain hunting on a physical level is you're training for non-specificity, like you're specifically training for non-specificity, whereas in every other sport, you're going to train as specifically as possible. If you row, you row. If you play basketball, you play basketball. You shoot more, you pass more, you dribble more. If you play rugby, you run drills, right? But in, in, in hunting, you know, no amount of shooting is going to make you more capable of going up and down a mountain. Nah. Right. And so you can train with weight. And, you know, we talk about that a lot. Lots of people in the community talk about that a lot. You can train with lots of weight. Um, but, you know, I, I would challenge anyone listening to this that has, say, a mountain hunt um, plan to say, well, you know, have you have you gone and carried 120 pounds after sleeping for four hours on the ground? Yeah. You just don't do it. You, you, uh, exactly, we, we often exactly, say that. It just, exactly. Right. You, almost, so, you almost can't train for it. You can do the best you, that you, you can almost do. Can't. No, yeah. you're right. Yeah. And that's why when we were in Norway, I felt my best on like the third week. Yeah, when we were coming home. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and but that's the beauty of it, right? Is like and you know again coming back to the whole hunter at the whole hunter athlete thing. Like, I try not to you know dive too deeply on this because we won't have too much time left. But um, you know, hunting is the original athletic pursuit of the human species, right? I mean, there's and that don't take my word for that. Look at you know, the work of Dr. Daniel Lieberman at Harvard. Mm. Look at Shane um, Mahoney. The, sorry? Sh uh, Shane Mahoney as well. He's another one. That Shane Mahoney. Gonna... Exactly. Exactly. There, there are people that, that have spoken and written at length about how hunting and the pursuit of game and not just amounts, but the pursuit of game, game period was the original athletic pursuit and why we are um, capable of doing these things and why when, as you described, um, I think Byron, you said, um, at three weeks, you started to feel like you were hitting your stride is we're meant to do this stuff. Modern life just makes us soft as you know what. So that it takes us a bunch of time to get used to it. Right. Mm, definitely. You, you think that, you know, going way, way back, if you weren't fit, strong one, you were more susceptible to disease, but secondly, you don't eat and you die. Yeah. It was simple as that. Simple as that. Precisely. Yeah. Um, precisely. That 
I'm aware that we are chomping down on time. There's one thing I want to uh, just ask you about uh, because you mentioned it before we get into the closing stages, and that is about kit and clothing in particular. Now, you just had an awesome podcast with a chap from Sitka who I forget mm. his name. Uh, what was his name? Uh, John, John Barklow. Yeah, uh, a tremendous podcast. I have I actually listened to it twice now. But wow. it's something that we d- don't think about that much in this country. And it was brought home to me the differences when I just had a friend over from South Africa. And this is his second trip here to visit me. And he commented to me this time. He says, you know what? We said we don't have to think about clothing at all at home. Because we're shorts, we're t-shirt, shorts, and a pair of boots. And there's done. us with, uh, <laughs> you know, three different layers. And we've got jackets, we've got boots, we've got gaiters on. Because, you know, we think about it. But we don't even do it as much as you guys do. <laughs> or certainly, maybe we do because we do a bit more extreme hunting. But certainly, like, generally speaking, the hunting in the UK, we don't have to think about the clothing as much as the mountain hunters, in, you know, in, in uh, Canada or, or America do. So maybe you could mm-hmm. just, uh, con- concisely as you can, just explain why on earth that's so important from a, a weight point of view and how it's actually a system. And that that's an alien concept to a lot of people here. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think you guys hit the nail on the head yourselves when you said um, without um, the requirement of a multi-day effort, your, your clothing... In, in, in many ways is immaterial, right? I mean, I, I know even, geez, I'll, I'll even say within the mountain hunting space, um, you know, people that are guides, right? Like that are sheep hunting guides that still just out of sheer you know, <laughs> obstinacy and, um, and, and nostalgia wear jeans, cowboy boots and a flannel <laughs> shirt to, to hunt the mountains, right? So you can do it, right? And, and of course there are people out there far tougher than I could ever hope to be. And many of us could ever hope to be. Um, but if you're, if you have the ability to go back to, you know, a cabin or a wall tent or a yurt or something like that every night and you have a heat source, you can dry out whatever the hell you need at night. So if it's jeans, cowboy boots and a flannel top, you'll be fine the next day. But outside of those sort of circumstances where you are living out of a tent and, um, likely going to be encountering very unpredictable and oftentimes, um, austere environments, um, your clothing system is truly, truly a matter of life and death, right? The wrong clothing decisions um, can get you into a very serious situation where you'd be dealing with exposure, hypothermia, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and your not just hunt could be over, worse things could be over. So um, this has been uh, a very, very, very core component to the mountain hunting industry. And, this, and there's a variety of companies that, that make apparel catered to this space, which um, is a systems-based approach to your outerwear. So from a base layer, some form of, you know, insulation or moisture wicking layer to your, you know, trekking or hiking pant to the layers you wear to deal with, you know, high winds, torrential rain, um, you know, significant temperature fluctuations. Um, there are different pieces and different types of materials that apply. There's no one material that applies in each of those environments. Um, and as I was mentioning with weight, you know, yeah, could you do it with, you know, heavyweight, you know, military surplus wool? Yes. Um, but your pack is going to get incredibly heavy. Um, and if it gets wet, yes, wool still insulates, but it's heavy, um, and only insulates to a point, right? If you're dropping into sub-zero temperatures, it doesn't matter what, what you, what you're wearing, if it's wet, you're hooped. Um, and so the, the whole apparel system side of things is is a truly essential piece um, of one's planning and preparation 
um, because it can be a matter of life and life or death. And on a less serious note, it's absolutely a matter of keeping you comfortable or relatively speaking comfortable and focused on the task. I mean, mountain hunting is hard enough as it is. If you're freezing cold or soaking wet or overheating or can't sleep well, um, it's even harder. Yeah. No, it's something which we are definitely we're going to we're going to dedicate a whole podcast to it because it's a fascinating fascinating subject and I encourage our listeners to go and check out I think it's your latest podcast the one that's uh, on, on clothing with Sitka. Yeah, yeah uh, episode twenty five. It's with John Barklow, who's Perfect. the category manager of um, Sitka's as they call it big game line, which mm. is their their mountain hunting line. People should definitely go and check that out. Now uh, we are getting to end of time because I know that you have to get off. So I've got one last question for you, uh, which is a fairly easy one. And my brother's got two and then we'll call it a wrap. And my question to you is just pick two or three top podcasts apart from your own, which is obviously the top one uh, <laughs> for people who are into wilderness, outdoors, hunting, fishing, all that good stuff that they need to go and check out that they might not have heard of. Uh, it's a great question. Um, so one of the ones I listen to quite frequently is uh, Hunt Talk Radio by Randy Newberg. Yep. He typically has some phenomenal, phenomenal guests on. Um, and um, Randy's a, a super sharp guy. I would say he and I, although I've never met him, are um, fairly philosophically aligned as as far as the things we like to talk about um, and, and get into in, in the mountains, mountain hunting space. So he's phenomenal. Um one that I, I don't listen to a ton, but I think is really interesting for our space is The Art of Manliness. Don't know that um, one. Yeah, so it's Art of Manliness as a website and, and podcast has been around for a really long time. Let me just check. Yeah, His latest episode was episode number 248. <laughs> okay. So they've been doing it for a long time. Um, and they just have just a, a, an incredible breadth of guests that, um, and I'll be honest and say there's really one that covers hunting, but there's a lot of, pardon me, things they cover that is that are related to hunting, be that, you know, training, nutrition, mindset, um, writing, even, you know, specific to, you know, our three needs. Um, it's just a really, really, really interesting podcast. You do have to thumb through um, a number of them to find the, the good stuff. I mean, I'm sure they're all good, but if you're looking for, uh, you know, content specifically related to hunting or mountain hunting, um, you, you'll have to dig a little bit, but there's some great ones in there, especially when it comes to training and nutrition. Cool. Now, this was pretty cool because we'd never done it before. Kind of quick fire questions. Uh, you did it to us, so we're going to do it, <laughs> gonna back, do it to you. back to you. They're almost identical questions to what you uh, you gave us because I thought they were okay. absolutely brilliant. So, well, almost. The first one I want to know is if you could choose one piece of gear, it can be anything, that you want to take onto the mountain, what would it be? What would you have to take with you? Oh, wow. <laughs> Apart from your rifle or bow, obviously. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, of course, excluding yeah. weapon. Um, you know, I've thought about this one so, so a fair bit, and I, and I honestly can't, I can't drill it down to one thing. I, if I'm being really honest, really honest, um, and this is, you know, from a, a a, a total, you know, 360 degree assessment of what is going to um, serve me best. It would be my 26 inch camp axe um, <laughs> that um, virtually goes everywhere with me. I think that's a good. That's, that's good. a good answer. So Adam's going to be most, naked. Most He's going to have his axe. <laughs> <and his> gun. <laughs> Sorry, most of my buddies look at me like I'm crazy for carrying that extra weight, but 
Um, we can't I don't know how many times it has been re responsible for getting a fire started when we otherwise couldn't. So, uh, yeah, I oh, would vote answer. that. Yeah, good answer. Okay, so book to recommend. Yeah, so I've thought about this one a ton. In the hunting space, um, The Dangerous River by R.M. Robert M. Patterson mm -hmm. is, without a doubt, the book I have gifted the most. Um, it's about um, one of the first, um, I guess, white men exploring um, an unmapped uh, area in the, uh, in the Yukon. Absolutely fascinating book. And if you think you're tough, read that book and then call me and tell me if you still think you're tough. Um, and then second to that, because I want to want to mention this one because it is equally uh, important, is um, uh, Four Hour Work Week. As, as cliched as that may sound, if, if you're looking for a book that will sort of make you reassess the world, I'll put it this way. If you want to step outside the matrix, read that book. Uh, excellent. I like, I like both of those references, so that's good. Yeah. My last one, money being no object, place where you would like to hunt the most that you haven't been already yeah um i my wife would, would kill me and if, if she hears this but it would be um probably one of the stands for ibex ibex or um if money was truly no issue uh markor in uh, yeah. pakistan that's right up there isn't it it's a shame that there's some of the most dangerous countries on the planet, but precisely, yeah, precisely. You know, but people yeah. hunt them. It, 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 people on, do on, hunt a, them. on a simpler and, and less serious level, like something that is, you know, certainly attainable because it doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars and and is, generally speaking, safe. Um, uh, Dagestan, Tur, and Azerbaijan is is very very high on my list right now. And right. Scotland, of course. At the end. <laughs> well, that, that goes without saying. That absolutely goes without saying. That's but that's for the Scotch, not for the hunting. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about your love of Scotch. Uh, Adam, mm. it's been tremendous having you on our podcast. Uh, you've been a great guest, and the invite is uh, open if you want to come and hunt in Scotland. You have a place a place to stay and a place to hunt. So uh, thank you very much, and keep up the great work with the journal and the podcast uh both awesome we we both love them so thank you very much gentlemen it has been an absolute honor i, I truly appreciate um the opportunity to come on and um be careful i am uh i, I can virtually guarantee you i'm going to take you up on that offer if you hear a knock on the door in, <laughs> in 48 to 72 hours um it could be me saying we're going hunting <laughs> that's brilliant thank you very much adam thanks guys talk soon well, thank you very much for listening to the show. I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. I've just actually thought of something that I wanted to talk about. When well, at we, the start. At the very start. I saw an article the other day about the calling to ban Chinese lanterns. What do you think uh, about it? I've, I've heard this mentioned before, and they were saying, was it something to do with wildlife or was it setting stuff on fire? Both, actually. Yeah. So there was one, the fire risk of if it lands on something, then it sets itself on fire. I mean, Byron have actually seen someone almost setting themselves on fire <laughs> yeah, with yeah. a Chinese lantern. Uh, but And then the second one is that they either have, I think, a wire frame inside them. Yeah. So that can cause damage. And you can think how many thousands of these are probably set off every single year. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if it does harm to wildlife, then it doesn't seem much sense in doing it just purely for our own pleasure. Our own pleasure. We're not doing it for any other reason than it looks pretty in the sky, so... Yeah, it's true. Oh, yeah, I think it probably should be. Or they just need to maybe redesign more, it yeah, redesign more. So it burns out. Yeah. So actually, it, it's one, there's nothing left at the end, or it burns out quicker or something like that. I I always hate it when 
there's a like there's just a knee jerk let's just ban something it's just like everything needs to be banned nowadays but on the other hand i still understand that they do cause damage so maybe they just need to look at redesigning it yeah maybe although probably the chinese lantern's been made like that for thousands of years (laughs) (laughs) okay no i didn't know that yeah we have fireworks is another one that's a, a problem for um less i guess wildlife of course it's going to scare wildlife but livestock mm-hmm. and yeah uh, stuff irresponsible like that. use There's irresponsible and use. of course we're at that time of year right now yeah we are we're at, we're almost at the the time of year where youths can buy uh, fireworks and uh, set them off in uh, places they places shouldn't they shouldn't responsible <laughs> use of fireworks that's the moral of that story yeah it is we have a new prize and the prize which i'm going to hold up now is not the puppy that's in my hands. <laughs> you can't win him. It is a Hornady reloading manual. It is actually, it's not the reloading manual I use, but I use this exact reloading manual myself. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're probably not a reloader or maybe not a shooter. So sorry about that if this isn't of any interest to you, but we do have all manner of things uh, up for prizes. But for the shooters, this this will be of particular interest to you. Uh, Hornady reloading manual. It's a great reloading manual. <clears throat> There's lots of information about uh, each cartridge at the start of all the loads, and it also gives you recommended powders at the start as well. So it gives you a great starting point, especially if you are starting to load for a cartridge you haven't loaded before. Um, so that's, that's what that's you have that's a cool to win. price. Yeah, and it's look, it's still it's, in its cellophane still in, wrapper. We're so not, I, I'm not giving you my old one. <laughs> we're not going to take it out of the packet this this time. We're this gonna is the ninth edition. Yeah. And in fact, I was in Sweden with uh, one of the guys who puts this together. Uh, a really interesting chap, as you can imagine. So what do people have to do to win this, Daryl? So what we're going to do is people have to tag a friend on Facebook. It'll be the pin post. It's always the pin post for the competition posts. And on Instagram, we'll put up a picture of the Hornady book. Yep then all you need to do is tag a friend underneath that. I think you can do that on Instagram. Yeah, just tag an Instagram profile. Yeah, tag an Instagram profile. Done. Yeah, that's you entered into the competition. And you'll find out in two weeks if you want it, so make sure you tune into next week's show if you enter. Yep. And everybody else who doesn't enter, still tune into (laughs) not next week's show, sorry, the show in two weeks' time. And remember, if you don't listen and don't claim your prize after a month, it gets put back up. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Floki, the puppy cocker spaniel, has uh, certainly had a bit of input. I think you could probably hear him whining there. I think he wants to go to sleep now. <laughs> yeah, bed, uh, bedtime, please. It is bedtime. Uh, we will be bringing you Andrew Gilruth in two weeks' time. Well, that's the plan from GWCT. That is going to be a fascinating discussion. I think it's Very probably in-depth. one that's going to run on, I think. Yeah, uh, that's, that's fine. No, that is good. That yeah. is good. Uh, I was, I was going to say something. Thank you very much for the people that are still leaving us reviews. Oh, yes. Uh, and, yeah, keep sharing. Keep sharing the the love. We've uh, broken the record again last month for the amount of listeners, yeah, which so is pretty cool. Um, shows that more and more people are listening, and that's what it's all about. And we keep getting comments from people who, uh, hunters and non-hunters alike, just talking about how, how informative and balanced all the discussions are. And that is the key. Balanced, honest discussion. If you have any suggestions or people or anything like that for the show, please Message us, email us, podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. Fling us a message on Facebook. We will respond to you at some point. Sometimes we're a little bit delayed because we are often away in places that don't have phone signal. But we will get back to you and we love getting suggestions. Absolutely. And we tend to always get the people on that, that the people, people ask, ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just as a final note, don't forget to check out our website, thepacebrothers.com. 
you will find information on there about the podcast, about the series. Episode 5 is out uh, a week ago. It's doing really well. Uh, also about our wilderness hunts. We've still got one or two places left. Uh, wilderness hunts, basically a chance to hunt the way we like to hunt. Come and join us. Just check the tab on the uh, on the website there, Wilderness Hunts. And we also have a shop on there. You have a chance to win, not win, sorry, but you will have a chance to win at some point in the future these very cool t-shirts. But right now you have the chance to buy from the shop some really cool branded t-shirts. Go and check them out. Uh, Embrace your DNA, Hunters of the Greatest Conservation Sport, cool slogans like that. Uh, and mugs as well. The mugs are cool. The mugs I've are been drinking cool. out of our uh, our mugs. Our, we've, our prototype mugs. We've got uh, the first batch coming and going out to people who have already ordered, uh, hopefully in the next two weeks. And that's it. Don't forget that this podcast is supported and brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Thank you it very is. much. And I was going to add one more thing oh, before you, you finished. Someone uh, messaged us asking if the show will be available on Spotify. I saw that. It, currently it is on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, uh, and Stitcher. And also on YouTube, most of them are on YouTube. Spotify, we're going to work on it. I I use Spotify myself, so it makes sense we try and get it on. Sometimes it takes time with these things. So we'll look into it. We'll look into it. Speak to you in two weeks.